1979, the film Alien made its premiere at the Seattle Film Festival on the festival's opening night. The film, directed by Ridley Scott and written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, had been kicked around in various iterations for several years before production officially started at 20th Century Fox and Brandywine Productions. Originally sold with the pitch of the project being Jaws in Space, the film took audiences on a harrowing journey with the crew of the Nostromo, a commercial spaceship that gets disrupted mid-mission after receiving a distress call from a nearby moon that the ship is passing en route back to Earth. This kicks off the events of what has become one of the classics in the horror and sci-fi genres, creating a pop culture landmark in the design of the film's otherworldly antagonist and the film's breakthrough visual effects for which the film won an Oscar, as well as its graphic portrayals of the crew's deaths, most famously John Hurt's chestburster death scene, which thrusts the film into its horrifying second act. After showing some promising success with his first feature film, The Duelist, working with a modest $900,000 budget, Ridley Scott was able to secure a whopping $11 million to make this science fiction thriller. After several successful science fiction films demonstrated the profitability of the genre, most notably Star Wars, which had been released only two years prior to Aliens in 1977, studios were more willing to take on broad visions of other worlds from young filmmakers, and it paid off handsomely for the studio as a smash hit horror film grossed $106 million worldwide. The film's success helped launch the career of the film's star, Sigourney Weaver, who had been a bit player in a handful of films and projects up to this point. She would go on after this film to star in another Oscar-winning film, The Year of Living Dangerously, and then another massive populist success, cementing her as one of Hollywood's most profitable leading ladies, Ghostbusters. Ridley Scott also saw the benefits of having made this sci-fi hit. He was then able to turn around and make another one as his follow-up to this picture, the 1982 adaptation of Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which had its title changed to Blade Runner. In the years that followed, it didn't appear as though a sequel was destined to be. Management changes at Fox and several lawsuits over the actual profitability of the film caused delays in the creation of a potential sequel. Fox claimed that the film had lost money, while Brandywine Studios, the producers of the film, insisted that it did not. As a way of settling the lawsuit, Fox greenlit financing and production of a sequel, seeing it as a way to pay Brandywine the money that the production company was owed from the distributor. Now the film needed a new man at the helm to reintroduce audiences to the world of LV-426 and the alien universe. Enter James Cameron. At this time, 1983, James Cameron had just completed his script for what would become the first installment of yet another incredibly successful sci-fi franchise, The Terminator, which would make its debut in 1984. Impressed with the script, Fox turned over the reins to Cameron to begin writing the sequel film to Alien. After finishing writing in 1985, Cameron also stepped in to direct the film, his fourth such career credit, and his third for a feature film. Without any other delays to plague the project, filming wrapped, and in 1986, the long-awaited sequel entitled Aliens hits theaters. Welcome to the follow-up. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Joshua Tracy. I am here with my fiance, Kel Grant. Soon to be Kel Tracy. And we are the hosts of this, as you're listening to it, film discussion podcast that focuses exclusively on sequels and remakes entitled The Follow-Up. Films often get sequels for a variety of reasons. Unexpected success from a first movie, a planned franchise, who knows, someone's passion project. So out of interest for what sequels often do 
to either expand on the universe of the original or what remakes do to bring a new flavor to what was an original creation. Kel and I will be spending time looking at these follow-up films to the original production to talk about how the film was, as well as what we think the film offers from an artistic standpoint. So with that being said, Kel, you ready to talk about the movie? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. So Aliens is, as we said, the follow-up film to the uh, 1979 production Alien. The seven-year gap is explained in the introduction to this show. Uh, for just some brief overview, uh, this film, Aliens, takes place 57 years after the original film in which uh, Officer Ripley, Sigourney Weaver, gets rescued while floating about in space to discover that the planet her crew had gone to in the original film has since been colonized. And surprise, surprise, aliens. (laughs) (laughs) So she gets tasked to go back with an elite squad uh, to go in and tackle the alien problem. So I guess let's start with that because it's a pretty big change from the original film's plot. Unlike other horror films like uh, Friday the 13th, where you're focusing on Freddy Krueger, or Halloween, where you're focusing on Jason... No, not Jason. Uh, Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then... Um, Oh, fuck. What's Jason? <laughs> uh, Jason Voorhees. The ski mask guy. Yeah, uh, no, Jason Voorhees is from... Friday the 13th. Oh, I meant Nightmare on Elm Street when I said yeah. Freddy Krueger. Okay, I'm, that's my bad. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave this in because I make mistakes. <laughs> um, that's the guy that the films kind of weave around. You know, if you're going to watch Nightmare on Elm Street 3, 4, whatever, they're, they're about Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. And the kids, a new crop of kids in a new situation having to grapple with Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. That is not the direction that Aliens took. In Alien, there is a singular alien that wreaks havoc to the crew of the Nostromo and wipes them all out. And it has this air of like a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees, where it's like, you can't kill it. Yeah, it just keeps coming back. Right. It it seems so indestructible. And just when they think they can hurt it, acid blood. Yeah. Whereas with this one, there's hundreds of aliens, and they are eviscerated constantly. They They are completely disposable. What do you think about, really what is kind of a dramatic change in the approach to the antagonist? So the difference to me is that even though these aliens are disposable because they have more advanced like weaponry 57 years later, it still seems like a bit of an impossible task because A, you're fighting against the government or this this space organization. Private company. Ah, yes. It's a private company that is terraforming the Earth. It's a very it's a scathing indictment of the military industrial complex, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of funny coming from 1986, which is really at the the height of Reaganism pumping money into our our military industrial complex. Um, 
And this is really saying that, like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no good. No good. Unintended consequences of imperialism all over this film. Well, yeah, I mean, and that private company is, you know, to to no surprise to us, doesn't give a fuck about the people or the colonizers or anything. They're just about the money and what a they want to do. A maintained theme from the first film. Yeah, and what they want to do is, um, and, and that's why the, what is it, the android that was sabotaging the mission in the first film to protect and preserve the alien, um, you know, that that is still at play in the second film with this entire organization, this board um, that is, you know, have, has no consideration for the colonists or the, the, the military organization that they send to go rescue the colonists. Um, it's really just a mask to try to preserve these aliens and, and bring them back to earth, which I also think is fucking crazy. Yeah. It, As, sorry, go ahead. Especially because, you know, Sigourney Weaver comes out of this hypersleep and they've got to know that the aliens are real, right? Because why would they have such an... They went there on that mission to save the colonizers, um, quote unquote. Colonists. From their... Oh, God. Yeah. The colonists. um, But they did that with the the underlying mission of bringing back alien life forms. It is a... The most nuanced part of the film is the, 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 the corporation's perspective on things, which is kind of funny because otherwise it is a very, very direct, like, shoot them up. This is a year before Predator, right? And, and it, it's a right around Rambo, or really probably Rambo 2, which would be more applicable with the kind of shoot them up energy of this. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, Rambo First Blood Part 2 was 85. Um, so it's very much so in that vein. But from the company's perspective, their view is, one, we make so much money from the possibility of terraforming being a viable, uh, I don't know, practice that we can sell governments on. Two, this one was expensive and we don't want to just out and out lose money. So we we have to, one, be able to continue selling it, which means our people can't die there. And two, this was a big investment, so we don't want to lose money. And then three, we also have a military arm, like a, a bioweapons division as well, that we want to be able to harness the scientific understanding of these aliens uh, to you know put into that part of our business. So it's it's multi, multifaceted... Um, capitalistic nightmares all all crammed into to one motivation which is you know get there get the stuff get out yeah which again goes back to my point of it feeling like such an impossible task from the the first one not because there's there's so many aliens but because they actively have to fight against this corporation every step of the way and the other thing that was perplexing is there were a ton of colonists that were a part of this building better they said world. Seventy families. Seventy families. So you're telling me you you have the the resources, the capability, the bandwidth to send seventy families to another planet to colonize, and they're essentially working like they're they're working and living up there. It's not just like a vacation, right? They they are there on a mission, but you can only send on the rescue mission twelve people, like twelve people. 
like shouldn't the shouldn't we be leveraging a little bit more of our military to be able to go and investigate these aliens? The fact that they just sent only twelve people with with weapons is very perplexing to me. Uh, I, I, eh. For them, one, the more people you send, the more serious it looks. So you probably don't want to send like an army of people to go do it. You know what I mean? Because then it looks like you're taking, you know, it's something catastrophic and you don't want to send that message over to your shareholders and all this boring shit. You know what I mean? But they must have known that it was going to be a bloodbath because they specifically asked, asked for Sigourney Weaver's help because they knew it was aliens, and she no, briefed them. I would disagree. I would push back on that very fervently. I, I think that they were overconfident, which is the point of the lieutenant. He has only been, this was. he said this was only his second actual combat um, dive, I think they called it, or whatever it was, where they, you know, plunged from some kind of ship into the atmosphere of the new planet. And then he conducted himself almost entirely from within a tank. And I think that was to be representative of the fact that, like, no one took this seriously. So I, yeah, I, I would fervently disagree. I, I, I think that they didn't think it would be a bloodbath. I think that they thought that they could handle this very cleanly, very easily, get in, get out. Otherwise, they wouldn't have thought that they could take an alien back with them. You know what I mean? So I, I think this is the, some of the cockiness of it as well, which, again, is straight from the first movie. Okay, which then begs the question, why did they need Sigourney Weaver on this mission? Why did they bring her on this mission? Because she's the only person to have an encounter with this alien species and survive. So she must know something. Plus, then they could kill her. Which would be much easier to do on her way back from a foreign planet, if not on the planet itself. Ulterior motives. Right. Um, there's a couple of additional character elements from Sigourney Weaver that are not in the original. Most notably the fact that she has a child, which I don't think comes up in the first one at all, which ends up becoming something of a big point in the beginning scenes where Sigourney Weaver says, I... How, my daughter, like, where's my daughter? How is she? And they're like, she is 66, oh, and dead. Um, and then, wouldn't you know it, uh, because the daughter was nine when she had left Earth, she finds a nine-year-old girl scampering around. <laughs> <laughs> Happens upon a nine-year-old girl. Yep, just just, just scampering around the, 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 the vents in the... Um, the, the Colony, I guess mm-hmm. is the news word for it. Um, Station, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting way to add extra stakes to the film. Obviously, the survival element is already pre- very present at the first one in the in the first one, right? You know, the the idea of just blanket self preservation, as well as the want for the survival of your crew, people you've become close with, and and all that. Um, it's an interesting it's interesting to add the additional element. I wonder. If that's there, to one, add a helpless figure that Sigourney Weaver then has to go back and save, you know, someone that's truly incapable of saving themselves, uh, as well as um, adding a little bit more emotion to the film, which maybe balances out some of the rough and tumble, you know, like very jocular masculine attitude of the seemingly constant gunfire 
that is born about in the, in the, the latter part of the film. Well, I think what you said about stakes makes a lot of sense because Sigourney Weaver's character wakes up 57 years later. Everybody she knows and loves is dead. At that point, the only thing she... She's trying to make sense of it all, and the only thing she seemingly cares about is the potential of getting her license back or her pilot, whatever. Oh, yeah, her pri- which that was a funny beat, too, because they're like, oh, your your license is suspended for your bad behavior. You, you, you can't get it back. But it's also like, it's been 57 years. I'd assume you'd have to take a new fucking <laughs> test anyway. Things have changed, yeah. Like, like if you're a lawyer, you have to go... To get like six credits worth of of schooling every year. You're going to tell me that a flight, like you're going to tell me that space travel has been net neutral over fifty seven years to the point where she wouldn't have had to earn her, like it wouldn't have been suspended in the first place. No fucking chance. Honestly, that was one of the things where I was like, this is this is so dumb. If it's been almost six decades, yeah, she probably has some re-education to go do. Well. But yes, that is her main motivation at the beginning. Her main motivation because she also, at that point, she doesn't realize how many there are. You know, I don't think she realizes there are like hundreds of aliens on that planet. I'm sure she might theorize like, well, obviously, you know, if it's if it's if the the person that died came back with the the face hugging thing on their on their face, that you know, it's probably the same species. But I don't think she realized that there was so many. So again, her original motivation in the film was just to get her license back, which to your point, like, what is she going to even do with? Like, again, everybody she knows and loves is dead. She doesn't have any respect in the, at this private company or within this organization because nobody believes her story and it doesn't hold any valor. So she ends up, you know, finding this, this, this love and, almost like admiration and, and she can really relate to Newt and she makes this great connection with her, which becomes the entire kind of basis for her surviving because there was one scene, my favorite scene in the film when she's, well, she goes back in to save Newt, Newt. Um, and she, she, you know, jumps through all these hoops and does all this stuff. And she finally gets Newt out of like the goop that she's in. Uh, the new goop. <laughs> the new goop. Then she's like pinned to the wall or whatever. And, you know, she's carrying her out. And then she slows down. And it, the camera slowly pulls out. And you realize, like, they're in the the, the nest or the, the birthing room. I don't know. The, the birthing the, chamber. The nursery yeah. <laughs> of the alien. And I, I think for a split second, you know, she was like, I could... I could end it all for all of us and we'd all like this is going to be we might have to cut this out but like Newt's got no family Newt's got nobody Newt has Ripley and Ripley has Newt Ripley's got nobody you know what I mean and then she's in that moment like we could end this all right now but I think she chose not to do that in order to protect Newt, which again, I think the addition of Newt drives her, the character's motivation through the whole film, but she does end up like incinerating some of the, um, the eggs, which doesn't actually make sense to me because if the idea is that the entire thing is going to blow up anyway, and they have to run out of this colony in a certain amount of time in order to avoid that, wouldn't the alien die anyway? 
So I saw that scene as a standoff between two equals. You have the queen alien, which is also a new concept for for, for the franchise um, up to this point. You have the queen alien with all of her, I guess we can just kind of shorthand it as children, in a vulnerable position. And you have Sigourney Weaver with her child in what is a vulnerable position. And it seems as though in that moment, both can either attack or defend their own in some type of way. And I think that's Sigourney Weaver being like, fuck you. I'm trying to hurt your feelings. Like, you have broken a people, and even though you're going to ultimately blow up in a nuclear holocaust, like I want to be the one to do it. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a fuck you, which she doesn't spend like a lot of time on. Which is the other reason I don't think it bothers me very much. Like mm. she, she, it's maybe twenty five, thirty seconds that she lingers behind doing it. Which to that point, okay, all right, fine, you can get that. But yeah. if it was like, if she stood there for like five minutes making a big point of eviscerating every egg sack, then I'd be like, yeah, yeah, this is blowing up anyway. Just leave. Yeah. And even, it's funny, because even Newt was like, all right, Ripley, like, you did your thing. We got to go, which she ends up doing. Like, as much as um, Newt depends on Ripley in a lot of ways, Ripley very much depends on Newt in this film to kind of guide her through the the colony that she has been living on for the past God knows how long. Well, I think that's one of the other things that the film does well is it, is it a lot for minor character flaws in what is otherwise good motivations and, and, and doing the right thing. You know, like when they're having the conversation about, um, oh, what was it? It was like, do we stay to try to, uh, uh, it, it was a question between, I think, Burke and Sigourney Weaver and Hicks. And it was like, uh, Sigourney Weaver was like, we should just, blow this shit up we should just nuke it from orbit yeah and burke was pushing back for some reason i don't remember remember what his motivation was burke had said uh hold on a second this cost us a lot of money to right to keep but i don't don't remember what his plan was in in opposition to nuke it from it doesn't matter um but nuke it from orbit was the right call and when it when sigourney weaver turns to hicks and says you know since the lieutenant died you're in command of this mission and since this is a military operation you have full authority and hicks said we're fucking nuking the shit from orbit like there is enough of that good decision making in the film where you go okay this isn't people making bad choices because that's what's needed to advance the narrative mm. this is people demonstrating lapses in judgment because of actual human emotion that is realistic in the backdrop of otherwise well thought out and meaningful action. Yeah, I really appreciated like the humanness of this film. Um, especially when like what's it what was his name? Gorman. Um, you know, when the when everybody is in the enters the colony for the first time and they encounter the aliens and Gorman just freezes. But it was filmed so like brilliantly where it wasn't like a he freezes for for a second and then immediately Ripley is in there. Like, you know, he takes his time almost to try to like work through those emotions. And then you also see like Ripley kind of, you know, her panic enhancing and like do something, do something. And, and Gorman's like, give me a minute. And she kind of has 
she respects that authority for just enough time, I think. And then, you know, goes in there and does it herself, which I don't know. I just thought it was so human. Like, obviously, it makes sense that that guy would freeze up because he's only done he's done 38 missions or whatever it was, but all simulated. And this is only his second. And he's never encountered something like this for him to just like, you know, have such a human relatable expression in that moment in such a critical time. I thought I don't know. I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah, and and to have Sigourney Weaver also do the thing that I would like to think that all of us in a rational state of mind would do, which is, you're in a tank. The hallways within this complex are big enough to be driven down. Just fucking drive there. How did we get in here? (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, yeah, very well done from from all those respects. Go ahead. Also, I would like to say, I didn't like Burke, is that his name? Which one? The the guy who told her to come on the mission anyway. Yes. Yeah. Um, I didn't like Burke. Paul Reiser's character. Yeah. Who I I didn't even realize that was him because I only like. Oh, everyone's so young here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was when I saw pictures of him, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the same guy. Um, I I didn't like him from the beginning, and it was I knew he was going to be the fucking bad guy of the, from the condescending way he would call her kiddo. Ripley, who is 57 years older than him at this point, or, you know, I don't know the fucking age difference between them. Like, she hasn't aged in 57 years, and he probably isn't 57, so I'm assuming he wasn't even born. Um, The fact that he's, you know, speaking, just being condescending. I was like, I don't like you from the beginning. And he tried to do the whole thing, like, I'm on your side, I'm on your side, I'm trying to help you out, kiddo. Like, fuck you. So how did you feel about this movie as a continuation of the storyline from the first? Again, it, it's, it doesn't share a writer of the first, it doesn't share a director from the first. It's a sequel almost born out of a legal necessity. Um, even though it was wanted by a lot of the people who were involved, including the production company, um, it is very much so, while it takes place in the same universe, a different artistic vision which of course shows so how do you feel about this as a continuation of the saga i think it makes sense i actually like that it was a bunch of aliens and not just one alien coming back for vengeance like it it made it rose the stakes which i appreciated um but as a continuation of the first film I was surprised to see that like we didn't actually get any flashbacks to the first movie. Like we got like her recounting it, but there was no scenes of like, you know, for actually showing the stuff. And the only time we really saw like any of the old crew members faces was on the, the, like the little green screen report thing where they were just kind of like coming up and their information was showing up. Um, that was when in the beginning when Ripley yeah. was relaying her story to what seemed like the board of directors or something. Yeah. Like but that. even yeah. then there wasn't like this montage of this, which is I think happened. is for the best. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I also think, um, I don't know when we, when we talk about sequels, like you, you've told me, which I didn't actually know that sequels are supposed to stand on their own. My my opinion is that a good sequel should be able to stand on its own. And I think that this film did that. Um, what I thought was... Oh, actually, what was your opinion? <laughs> Two of us would like to know your opinion. I, I think this is a very good follow-up 
Boom. Name of the show. Name drop. Um, however, this is also, for me, the worst way to do it because mm. I think it kind of sinks the direction of the franchise. Because this is such a shit... It's like you watch Rambo First Blood and then you watch Rambo 4 and it's like, whoa, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. You watch... Um, Predator, the original, and then you watch Predator 16. And it's like, (laughs) same thing, you can go down the line. It's especially applicable to the horror movies that we mentioned earlier, where it's like the original Friday the 13th is like this morality tale where, you know, it's not Jason Voorhees, it's not supernatural. His mother is seeking revenge uh, for the wrongful death of her son, which she is in the right about. And then it becomes a supernatural clusterfuck where they go to fucking space. And that's kind of what this movie ended up ultimately doing to this franchise by making it into more of an action film than a horror movie by taking away a lot of those elements of, you know, the individual nature of this xenomorph or, you know, this one alien that that is, is coming for us in like a slasher kind of way and instead bringing it into the shoot 'em up genre. So while I do think this was a really, I I really enjoy this movie. I often don't. Re- I I think this is the first time I've watched it in like a decade. Mm-hmm. I always turn back to the first one because I love it so much more. Um, but this is this is a good movie that doomed the two films that follow this in the continuation of of the franchise. Is that because they went too big with? this one and you're like thinking where do you go from here with the third and the fourth i think they took the thoughtfulness out of creating suspense and instead supplemented it with cheap jump scares and action Mm. action as a genre can be done very well and can be done very thoughtfully you look at a lot of like old western films or a lot of old war movies even current war movies and you'll see Lots of action done with a lot of thought about how it's being presented and how it's meant to make you feel. The f- these film, this film specifically, I think, does a, a, a good job with creating stakes, creating emotionality, uh, driving forward a plot and narrative, um, and where the action is serving of that. But the films that follow this, and granted, that that is us having the ability to say the two alien films that followed this suck. Mm. Whereas that might not necessarily be the case if this had, you know, just, if we were doing this podcast in 1986. Um, I think that the drastic changes that this film took by shifting it away from being like a Hitchcockian, like thriller horror film was a disservice to the franchise as a whole. So what do you think that, so what do you think was the best part of this movie? Was it, Sigourney Weaver and Newt like was it just the the main character coming back because I mean that seems to be what separates it from every other like you're saying like action war film is this these characters that we care about I mean I guess at the end of the day it's like whether it's an alien or whether it's war against another thing like you care more about the character development and the people What's interesting is, despite the fact that there's the introduced stake of Newt, I'm not sure that there is much more character development within the character of Ripley. Because in the first film, she is presented maybe a little bit young, a little bit like 
brasher more, or more more brash when we first meet her. But overall, she is very sensible. She's very smart. She and she does her best to protect everyone around her while also trying to survive. Like there's a, there's a selflessness to her. Mm. And while I think introducing the maternal aspect certainly colors her a little bit more, I'm not sure it advances her character development too greatly, especially since. And again, this it, you know, we have the hindsight of additional films doesn't really come up again. Um, I. The best part for me is Sigourney Weaver. She's incredible in this movie. Um, she's a badass. She she's great, and I mean, to that effect, this film was nominated for um, seven Oscars. It won two Oscars for best sound effect editing and best visual effects, and it was also nominated for best actress in a leading role for Sigourney Weaver. This was her, this was her first Oscar nomination, um, and it's. It's well deserved. She goes from kind of the gritty outward presentation of someone going through combat to very warm and very gentle in her scenes with Newt. Like she 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 carries herself exceedingly well and exceedingly humanistic throughout the film. She's not monotone like a lot of characters in action films tend to be, looking specifically at uh the woman who played Vasquez, which that's the role, like it is what it is. Yeah. Um very much so just I think this is also the birth of the tough Latina girl um, trope. This is the first film that comes to mind when I think of that, which is now very present in films like The Expendables or Fast and the Fast Furious. And like, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, she's she's tough. And we know that because she's kind of brown and speaking Spanish. Like, ooh, yeah. And she may or may not be gay. And she definitely is wearing a bandana somewhere on her person. <laughs> right. Um yeah, Sigourney Weaver for me is is tops here. Yeah, I think that I don't know. For me, Newt, I love saying the word Newt. Newt, Newt stole the show. I, I love that her name isn't Newt. I love that there was the scene where it's like, "Oh, your name's Rebecca," and she goes, "My name's Newt." She's like, "Only my brother calls me Rebecca," which is also sad because he's been blown to smithereens. Anyway, um, what I liked about or what I thought was like, I, I don't know. I thought Newt probably had the most character development over the course of this film. I mean, because when we first are introduced to her, like she obviously like, she's nonverbal. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Before that, when we see oh, her and oh, her brother, yeah, yeah. like she's just, she just seems to be like a concerned kid about her parents. Like, you know, and then we see her again and she's nonverbal. And then, you know, she becomes this pretty, like, I don't know, self-sufficient, um, very like, in touch with the reality of what she's going through. Like the fact that, I mean, she's so young. And when she was talking to, um, Sigourney Weaver or sorry, Ripley, um, she was talking about like, Oh, like, do you have a daughter and asking all these questions or when, when, um, uh, Ripley asked new when she was tucking her in, like, Oh, um, I bet your, your doll doesn't have, uh, bad dreams. And she was like, she doesn't have dreams because she's made of plastic. <laughs> and then she was asking, Newt was asking Ripley about her daughter. And Ripley was like, and she's gone. And Newt was like, when you say gone, you mean dead, right? Like she's dead. And the fact that she, you know, confronted death so readily in her life thus far, and it was just so matter of fact about it. It just like, I don't know. It leads me to believe that she's going to come back in the 
the third movie. I haven't seen the third or the fourth movie, but I'm hoping she comes back and I don't know, we see her develop more and, and kind of Ripley taking her under her wing. And also, I don't know if this happened or if I just made this up, but I believe in one scene, Newt called Ripley mom. Do you remember that? It. We looked at each other when this happened. I feel like she said mama, but I also, I, I do not know. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know. I, just, I loved Newt. I had other things I loved. Do not. No, go ahead. Okay. And the other two things I actually liked about this film, one being the fact that it's 57 years into the future. um, And therefore they incorporated like the, the the tech, like POV. I do also love that. They never say what year it is. Yeah. It's so good. It's the same same thing that star Wars did. Mm -hmm. It happened at some point. Don't worry about it. Which is like good because sometimes you see a movie and they'll be yeah. like twenty sixty five, but they made it in like nineteen seventy two. So right. it's like, oh yeah, well, this will happen in ninety years. <laughs> and then it's like we're sitting here in you know twenty twenty two. and It's like, oh, this is doesn't age well. We're nowhere fucking close. We can't even get trains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Um, no, so I I liked that like the the. The POV, I, I don't know, I thought it added to the suspense and the fact that, like, the, the technological advancements and everything like that. And it also, you know, when they, in, in Alien, you know, they didn't, they they weren't on a mission in the beginning to fight an alien or to save an alien or anything. Not at or all. To encounter Completely an alien. incidental. So they weren't prepared. This film, they this was their mission and they were prepared to do that. So it just makes sense to me that they added that like kind of military lens to everything. Um, and I appreciated that. I do also enjoy one of my big pet peeves as Kel knows, cause I mention this every time it comes up, which feels very frequent. Mm-hmm. One of my big pet peeves with weapons in films that are like sci-fi or supernatural in some type of way is it's very frustrating when the weapons supplied for the mission are ineffective against the thing they need to be used on. It's so annoying when you're watching, like this happened in The Boys, which is a TV show that Kel and I watch, very popular TV show on Amazon, where there was a uh, psych ward essentially for superheroes and the armed guards in charge of watching over the psych ward are armed with just regular guns and they don't work against superheroes, (laughs) which is like, why did you even give them guns? It's the stupidest thing on the fucking planet. Yeah. And what this film does well is that, like, not only are the bullets and the firearms that the military are equipped with are not only are they effective, they're incredibly effective. You know, they 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 do exactly what they're supposed to do. So there's none of this like, oh, we brought all this stuff and it's fucking useless. Like, no, like it, it's it works. That that is not going to be the 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 point of uh, of issue here. That's not going to be where the tension arises from, which is that we have guns that kind of do the job but not really it's genuinely we're just everything else yeah we're we're overwhelmed Mm -hmm. we're we're outmaneuvered stuff like that not it takes 90 rounds or some super precise shot you gotta shoot him in the eyeballs or some dumb shit like it it takes away a lot of the like having to worry about almost like the science of it you know, because then you get into like, why doesn't it work? Is it some crazy exoskeleton? It's like, if it could shoot through a tank, why can't it shoot through? It takes away all of that and it just becomes about the fact that there are aliens. Which also kind of makes a last fight scene. You said it's like one of the most iconic fight scenes 
in history in, in cinema history it kind of makes it really funny because it's like you know these these aliens can be blown up by guns but like we've never seen a human just encounter an alien that wasn't like the little baby guy you know like even face hugger a face hugger like newt slammed that thing into a table and die. we've never seen someone come to um Face to cuffs. <laughs> We've never seen someone um, encounter like the alien being without any weapons and be successful. So it's just interesting to me that even without like guns or anything like that, Sigourney Weaver can use that. What is that like that bot? Thing. It's, it was it was essentially like a future forklift. But, like, for your body. Like yeah, your is what it was getting used as. It was getting used as future forklift. Which was just hilarious, though, because you're like, There's, this is an alien. You really can't. There's so many gaps. My body is 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 very much exposed. I just have some armor around me. Um, so I just thought it was funny that she kind of, like, forklifted him into the airlock Her. thing. Oh, oh, yes. They. <laughs> Her. <laughs> yeah, it, um... It's funny because it is uh, it is very iconic. You know, you see like every every Halloween, you see like costumes of kids in like like the forklift outfit, and it, it is it's super fun. It is watching it like the least practical way to do this. Yeah. Um, and it becomes a little bit more untethered when she opens Ripley opens the airlock, is able to hang on by her elbow and then climb out and then shut it, whereas everyone else is getting like sucked into the vacuum of space yeah that part you're like okay um it worked very well in the original because that is the same ending of the first film when ripley's in the escape pod an alien also made it into the escape pod really they are carbon copy endings um you know you get back to base you think you're safe oops you're not safe bam alien um but in the other one ripley was able to secure herself down to the ships in a way that the airlock wouldn't be as affecting uh, or the uh, the vacuum of space wouldn't have as much opportunity to affect her um, <laughs> sucking her into space. Whereas with this, it relied on some level of brute strength that was very off-putting because you're going to tell me that Ripley has the strength to hang on to the ladder, but the gigantic alien yeah. with super strength can't hang on to her yeah. ankle. Yeah, who that can was literally strange. who can literally survive on the undercarriage of a space shuttle or where or on their their <laughs> It was thing. hiding in the staircase. <laughs> and who like who's got these fucking talons or weapons or whatever that literally uh what was his name? I, Benito is not correct. <laughs> what is? Oh, the, 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 the synthetic. Android. Android. Um, the Benito is Bishop. Not, Bishop. <laughs> Benito. Bishop. Um, that literally demolished Bishop and and broke him in half. And yeah, just couldn't Split get past that like little, that little, you know, was just hanging on to her shoe and like didn't decapitate or like didn't amputate her foot. Nothing like it was just like, I'm just going to hang here and dangle for a while until you figure out how to get rid of me. Right. And and that's kind of like endemic of what I mean when I say that this is a good movie, but it ultimately kind of doomed the franchise, which mm. is it's a very fun sequence. But it's also so wildly idiotic for for the sake of action. Mm. It is genuinely action for action's sake. How the alien got to the ship 
so that it could f- kill Bishop is stupid. Um, it what, it hung out on the stairs and just decided to not kill them till they landed. That's dumb. The fact that it, for some reason, just kind of kept missing Ripley's head. Yeah, with its with its spear Giant tail ass. is yeah. dumb. The fact that it couldn't hang on to Ripley after the airlock was open is dumb. I was kind of waiting. It was for- fun action. Like yeah. it was very satisfying. You know, in this you know grand finale type of way, but it was ultimately. It's ultimately silly when you consider the actual logistics of it in what is otherwise a film that is not silly from the actual logistics of it in a way where future films took that and took the worst parts of it. Yeah, I was almost waiting for uh, when they were doing that scene for it to just be like a whoop like those dumbass sound effects like during oh, that yeah, scene. like like some some like Batman ask shit. Yeah. Like it's nineteen sixty six Batman. Right. Adam West. But they also like I just feel like they did that because because like, you know, they want us to have the happy ending. And, you know, that's why Bishop didn't die. That's why he, you know, he was he was literally severed in half and, and is in a cryo sleep now with the rest of the well, crew. That is back to Earth. That is a staple of this franchise. Including the uh, the other films, the Prometheus films, they the the um, synthetics do not die. Like remember in the original Alien, Ian Holm who played Ash, he, it's just a stump of a head, and Ripley like brings him back to life essentially to talk about why everything is happening. She could have just left him on. She only yeah. kills. "Quote unquote," kills him again because fuck Ash. Yeah. Um, and same thing happens with like Michael Fassbender and the Prometheus films. Like it, it, it's a stable part of the franchise. I do like the fact that they subverted expectations by making Bishop a good guy and kept him consistent. Um, it would have been very lame if Bishop uh, also proved to be a bad guy, much like Ash was. Um, it was a good subversion of expectation. Yeah, I agree, and I, 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 you can't help but like fall in love with him. He's such a, he's such a nice guy. That's why when he genuinely that that was the worst scene for me. Is when he like, died. Yeah, well, when he got severed, when punctured, he got split open like yeah. a coconut. <laughs> Ew, the the way something about it being white, <laughs> also like. Yeah, somehow just... the milky substance is no less disturbance than actual blood. Yeah, I would have actually you preferred know what, you know what'd be, blood. You know what would be fine? Frothy, milky blood. Yeah, it was fucking disgusting. Um, but, <laughs> but like, that, they have this such this tender moment, and it's just like, like, did I do good? Like, he's, he's, he, we know he's synthetic, right? We know he's an android, but he's so human, and you just, you fall in love with him, because he's, he, he's just so, lo- I mean, that's the, the technology, right? He's just so logical, like, but he's so... So human. Yeah, big credit to Lance Henriksen, who who yeah. plays. I mean, I think by and large, a lot of the performances in this film are, are done exceedingly well. Lance Henriksen, specifically, because he plays what is a relatively robotic character, because the character is it's literally a robot. robot. Yeah, um, but that is meant to have emotion because he's programmed to have emotion. Beca- yeah. Yes, because he's programmed, and he's he he makes a comment as such, which is to say, like, I know I'm synthetic, but I'm not dumb. Yeah. Which is to be like, I don't, I know it's gonna, I have a chance of dying and that scares me. You know, if I go out, if I be the one who goes out and remotely brings over the, the other copter yeah. or whatever it was. And Lance Henriksen does a really, really great job of playing it relatively stoic and a little bit disconnected 
while still being a very warm character who clearly cares about what's happening to the rest of his crew. Um, yeah. Really, uh, several great multifaceted performances in this film. Yeah. So if I were to... I didn't see Aliens 3, but if I were to write Aliens 3, I would want to see it... Um, you will a few years n- in the future. You will never predict what this movie's about. Really? Okay, let me tell you what I'd want. Okay. A few years into the future... Newt's a little bit older. She's... An alien now. <laughs> she's a synthetic. No, she, um, you know, she doesn't go to, like, traditional school. She's too cool for that. Her and her... her And so Sigourney Weaver adopts her, right? That storyline builds. And, like, they're just this, like, badass duo. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's better to, like, have them try to, like, do the thing of, like, we, we experienced this crazy shit like let's try to just go back actually that's what i want i would like ripley to adopt newt for them to live in some sort of like cute suburban house and just try to live a normal life kind of like the scream like Mm -hmm. franchise yeah where it's like oh this was in our past wasn't that crazy and then it's like it's happening again and they're they'll they're brought back into it and also um Bishop's the dad, but he's a whole person now. Like he, they put him back together. They give him legs again. Um, and yeah, but maybe there's a new creature. There's not like maybe it's not the same alien. Because that's the thing. By the third movie, it's like you blew up the nest. You blew the you blasted the mother into space. You know, I don't I don't want that same creature. I want a different iteration, like a different breed of the alien, but I just, I don't want that same one to come back. So in alien three, Ripley, uh, crash lands on a maximum security prison. Wait, 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 like on the, wait, 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 sorry. Are they on their way back? Is this like right away, a continuation after the second, like on their way back to earth, they crash, they crash land on a maximum security prison. Oh my God. Everyone is dead. Except Ripley. <gasps> what? Everybody? Are you kidding? Newt is dead. <gasps> Hicks is dead. Bishop? They both get burned. And uh, Bishop is apparently also dead. Oh. Um, and there is an alien embryo that was inside of Newt that, <sighs> surprise, surprise, grows to become a whole alien because they keep going like, no, this time it'll be different. We'll figure it out. Well, we knew that was going to happen because she was, you know. Ew, also, how do they impregnate? <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. How do they How do they impregnate them? The face huggers. That's what that is. But the thing Newt, around the face. Newt didn't get face hugged. It's a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what you want. For, it's not good. Okay, I'm not going to defend this one. We're not talking about The Godfather 2. Go ahead. Um. And then it's prison and and it's it's kooky alien antics. But is it at least an hour shorter? Uh, no, it is also two hours long. Oh my god! Uh, and it ends with Ripley dying. <gasps> but then there's Alien Four Resurrection, where two hundred years in the future they bring her back to life. <laughs> oh, are you fucking kidding? Me? And they make her part alien. <laughs> so she's an android now. And then she joins with a crew of space pirates. Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, they make her part alien or part, part alien? Oh, my God. Then she joins with a crew of space pirates. 
and they have to fight aliens again. It's I'm it, over it. I'm over well, that's it. what I'm saying. Like, it's bad what they did with this. This is a good movie, but the problem is there's so many moving parts around the stakes. It it, it got taken from a self-contained story, yeah. which is here is our one ship, here is our small crew of like I don't know maybe like six seven people. It mm-hmm. wasn't very big. Um, and here is what we're grappling against, and here's, you know, the series of events that unfolds. Instead of Alien Aliens, which has a famous story about how it got its title, that I'm sure if you listen to Kevin Smith YouTube videos, you will have also heard, which is essentially, apparent, the way the story goes is so Kevin good. Smith, no, not Kevin Smith, James Cameron uh, walked into the studio, which I already know this isn't necessarily true from what I the articles I've read about the pre-production of this film, but... James Cameron walks into the, to Fox to do a meeting and writes Alien on the board. Uh, and the head honchos at Fox go, oh. And then he writes an S at the end of Alien. And everyone goes, oh. And then he writes a dollar sign through the S. And everyone goes, oh. <laughs> uh, and that's how they made Aliens. It's <laughs> so funny. Um, and it, it, it is a good movie, but there's so many more moving parts in this film. Significantly more moving parts in this film than there are in the first one, that I think makes it, and it increases the scale so much. Because again, that's the other thing that other films of these genres don't necessarily do. You know, even if you go to the second Friday the Thirteenth movie, it's it's still just kids in a cabin getting murked. Yeah, you know, it it's not um, the events of. Uh, I think Halloween three is the one with the masks and the toy company. And it's like, it's so crazy. Uh, like, it's like, uh, we're going to make a commercial that turns all the kids into bugs. Like it's the craziest, it's the craziest movie. Um, it's not that like, it, oh, the idea is let's take this setting and plop it into a different scenario. Essentially what the most recent predator installment just did Prey, which was saying we don't need to increase the scope of the predator movies. The same way Predator 2 increased the scope of the original, The Predator, by plopping it into, like, the Bronx. Right. Prey was like, let's just take The Predator and put it in a different context. Mm-hmm. That is a more sustainable way of doing things because then you don't end up... It's the same thing that, like, the Avengers movies ran into issues with, which is like, okay, every movie, the Earth can't be in jeopardy. Because yeah. there's no way to increase scale from there. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we've reached the peak of our ability to understand the stakes and any escalation thereupon will feel hollow. Yeah. And what this film did was build up the stakes to such a degree that, or really just kind of like expand the the scope of the film to the point where it's like, well, to make this different going forward to preserve the action part of it, it has to get crazier. So let's put Ripley in a prison planet. <laughs> let's make Ripley part alien and put her on a pirate ship you're right <laughs> like snakes keep having to get wildly it has to get wackier essentially yeah. um so because this film ends so much like the first one do you think that this was an attempt at a franchise or genuinely just a sequel to build upon the story of the original I think they left room for it, certainly. Right? Because, like, why the fact that the alien is 
is is blasted through the thing and just somewhere out there and like there's always remains the question of like did it survive what happened that's the mother is she laying eggs on her way down like what's the what's the the stakes there plus you know everybody again i if maybe you're, if maybe it's just me, but like everybody falls in love with Newt, and they want to see that you're really selling love Newt. Her, they want to see. I personally want to see what life after living in a colony, what life after aliens looks like, especially because I want to see Ripley get her her real life back, or not her life back, but like her build a life that's that has nothing to do with fucking aliens. Um, so I think it might have been a, an attempt at a franchise. Was that their goal? It would seem that way. Well, I, I would think that would be the goal, but it's a little bit stilted in that attempt because there's not a clear path forward from there. I would think that you're right. If you and I were talking about this again in 1986, I would say, oh, well, the next movie is going to be, like they're going to collect characters as they go. Yeah. Right? Like, it's going to be um, almost like what um, fucking Zombieland and Zombieland 2 did. It's like, Zombieland, we have these people, and it's like, we're going to keep them all together, and at the end, uh, and, and, and in Zombieland 2, we'll take all these people, and we'll give you more of them, and we'll, we'll, we'll build something. Um, clearly, that's not what happened. But yeah. I, I would assume it's also with, you know, how gigantic sci-fi franchises were at this point in time and really how much the franchise as a film construct it exploded in the 80s because now you no not now not only do you have the Star Wars franchise but you also have the uh, Indiana Jones franchise mm. and you're you're starting jaws at this point as well right there there ghostbusters like like there there are many many more films that are getting planned sequels um, at the time of their release so I, I would think that as well uh, so final question does this film work as a standalone film yeah I, I believe so yeah I think so because we we understand how well actually sorry let me, let me just think this out in the beginning or in the first film we don't know how or why the aliens get there and that still isn't answered in the second film. So because there's no logic that we're missing out on, I think it stands alone just fine. Yeah, I, I would agree. The, I mean, the, the, the film presents itself as a... Uh, it, it gives you all the background you could possibly need at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and, then it, and then it's just the mission from there on out. And there's not a lot that needs to be explained with the aliens. Like you said, there's no background to the aliens that you really need. We don't know anything about them. That's part of the point. Um, so to that effect, yes, I, I think it is perfectly suitable as a standalone film. I would still recommend people watch the first one because it's better. But it is a perfectly good standalone film. Would also recommend the board game that we picked up. It is the alien so board game much is fun. fun. Yeah. Which we'll play in, in celebration of episode one. So Aliens got uh, a slight uptick in budget from its uh, prequel, no, its predecessor. Uh, Alien, as I mentioned in the introduction, had an $11 million budget. Aliens got increased up to 18.5, which when you consider the fact that this is James Cameron's third theatrical uh, or feature film, 
and that this film had started production right after Terminator had come out and was the script had been awarded to him prior to the release of Terminator. It seems like quite a bit of money to invest in this project. Um, and again, this also paid off. The film ended up grossing worldwide $131 million, which was an increase over the previous installment. This film, again, like I said prior, had also spawned two additional sequels. Alien 3, or Alien Cubed, as it can be read, was released in 1992. Uh, that film had a budget of $50 million and a gross worldwide of about $160 million. And then it spawned a final installment in 1997, Alien Resurrection, which had a $75 million budget and grossed worldwide $161 million. The, largely, I would say, on the back of how successful this second film was. Now, because it was stuck in such production hell and seven years removed from the original film in this series, having this film be a success and be something that people really did turn out to see and have it ultimately be made by a marquee director, James Cameron, right after such a huge success of his in The Terminator, really is what led this film series to be as popular as it was and not fade into obscurity the same way that eventually the Friday the 13th and the Nightmare on Elm Street movies kind of did. All right. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I'm actually just really disappointed that Newt dies in Aliens 3. You've ruined my entire night. Um, I think I need to cleanse my palate by watching Alien 1 again and just forget about Newt's existence. But yeah, no, I I've, I enjoyed this and I think it's uh, it's really fun talking about sequels because they are such a unique, I don't know, challenge. And I think it's it's fun getting to do this with you. I also am looking forward to more of our discussions. So in the meantime, thank you all for joining us and everybody take care. Bye.